we'll get you one. Um, if you're new to Metro Believers Church, this is just a little half sheet that has some of uh, the scriptures that I'll go over and some of the points that I'll cover. Um, you can take it home. You can also pick up um, one of the notebooks at the Information Center to archive those notes in. and They're free of charge. You can just stop by and pick one up, and you can kind of keep those in order and gather them and perhaps go through them in the future. Um, just so you know, we are in part three of Marriage Secrets. And I have said this before, but over the past four decades, Vicki and I, my beautiful wife here, um, wave to him, honey, all right, my beautiful bride of 43 years, um, we have been, you know, over the last four decades, we've been learning, and we've been growing, and we've been making mistakes, and we've been learning from those mistakes. And you get to be the recipients of some of those mistakes, just so you know. Um, Vicki and I have learned the hard way in a lot of ways, um, but we have found some of the secret sauce. Everyone say secret sauce. We've found some of the secret sauce over the years uh, of how to have a great marriage, how to, how to keep it fresh, how to, how to stay in love um, for not just a couple of years or until things go sideways but actually for decades. Uh, and like the video talked about, till death do us part. And so we've been talking about that. We are in part three of that. Um, I said it before, I'll say it again, that these principles um, that I'm sharing are actually transferable. Most of them, you'll see, actually fit within any relationship in the context um, actually can actually play out. So uh, we refer to these, Vicki and I, as secrets because they're not commonly known or, or practiced oftentimes in marriages today. How many of you know it's the small stuff that makes the big difference? Anybody out there? It's the small stuff that makes the big difference. And Solomon actually said it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, uh, meaning that it's the small stuff. It's the things that we take for granted. It's the things that we overlook. It's the things that we, you know, we, we kind of know but we don't apply it to our lives. And so it's the small stuff that makes a difference. And over the years, Vicki and I um, have you know, learned some things and we've distilled this list of 12 secrets to a great marriage. And they may not sound very profound, but they are the difference between a poor and struggling marriage and one that is healthy and vibrant and life-giving. And so um, Vicki and I learned years ago that we wanted to strive for something above the norm. You know what I'm talking about. Above, you know, the average, so to speak. And we wanted to actually experience what we felt the Holy Spirit wanted to give us in our marriage. And so one of the theme verses that we used early on in our marriage, and, and many of you have heard my testimony. I had an aha moment in my garage back in 1978. We were married in 76, and Things didn't go well for the first couple of years, right? She didn't have her act together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I didn't have my act together. So um, at any rate, this verse that I'm going to share with you is not in your notes, but it will appear on the screen. And of course, it is in your Bibles if you want to turn there. It's in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 25 through 33. This, this sort of was our foundational verse. It was a theme verse from the Bible that actually helped turn our marriage around. And uh, here, here it is. Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason will a man leave his father and his mother and be united unto his own wife. And the two will become one flesh. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we sort of symbolized the whole unity candle thing and, and how God does a miracle at marriage and takes the two individual lives and he fuses them into a brightly burning partnership. And from that moment forward, the enemy wants to make one, two again, right? They will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, if you, if you just dove into this area of Scripture and dissected it, you'd find yourself in an amazing place with God and with your spouse. Just the ideas behind the text here, the, the husband is likened unto Christ, and the, the wife is likened unto church, church in, the, in the analogies here. And notice Christ initiates love, right? Some of you have felt that initiation, that he initiated love, and, and the church or, or the wife responds to that love. And so just that alone was a game changer for Vicki and I. When, when I understood my role in our house, my role in our home, and my role in our relationship, and I started to take that seriously. And as a result of that, things started to change. I started to treat my wife differently. Not that I'm perfect by any means, and she'll tell you that. <laughs> but here's the deal. Great marriages are no accident. Great relationships, for those of you that are single, are no accident. It's, it's what you do with what you have that makes the difference. And so you may find yourself in a situation where there's a lot of conflict, and we'll talk about that next week. Um, you may find yourself in a situation where there's a lot of selfishness. We'll talk about that today. And you may find yourself in a situation where things aren't going well, but they can. How many of you know that? There is hope for you. Amen. Amen? You may be in a bad situation right now, but God can turn things around because I'm convinced with all of my heart that God wants us, you and I, to have exceptional relationships. That's God's dream. That's God's will, right? He wants us to have exceptional relationships. But in order for that to happen, we need to be willing to look in the mirror and be honest with, each, with, with ourselves and make the necessary changes, right? Instead of looking, you know, at our spouse and pointing the finger, look in the mirror and ask yourself what changes are necessary and be willing to make those changes. And so far, we've talked about six secrets. Today, we'll go through another three. But we covered, first of all, don't be the center of your universe, all right? That was the first secret. Make, make sure God is. Second secret was remember the golden rule. Treat your spouse as you would want to be treated. Simply put. Number three, learn the art of good communication. When you don't know how to communicate properly, you are a ticking time bomb. Number four was learn to pay attention. Learn to listen. 
Learn to develop good listening skills, and we talked about that. Number five was learn to train your spouse, (laughs) using the puppy analogy that I used in that talk. Learn to praise the positive aspects of your spouse because negative words don't make a person positive. We found that out. And the last one we talked about last week was learn to be touchy. Nourish your love through touch. And we talked about the meaningful touches that are required for a healthy relationship. And so today I want to talk about another three secrets to a great marriage. And the first one is simply this, play second fiddle. Play second fiddle. What do I mean by that? We need to learn how to put the needs of our spouse above our own. You know, sometimes, you know, a lot of us entered into marriage for the wrong reason. We, you know, we wanted someone to, you know, to take care of us. <laughs> I remember when I got married, that's, that was my goal. I wanted, I wanted someone to take care of me. I needed help, right? Um, I wanted someone, you know, to to meet my needs, to clean my house, to cook my meals, to do my laundry, to raise my kids, to bring bring home my bacon, you know, to to mow my lawn, whatever. Some of you may have that same perspective. And it was all about me, right? Gimme, 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 I, I, gimme, gimme, I. My name is Jimmy, I'll take all you gimme kind of a thing, right? You know, it was the whole idea behind marriage. It was all self-centered. And, but here's the deal, marriage, marriage is really, from a biblical perspective, is really a lifelong commitment to selflessness. It's a, it's a lifelong commitment to selflessness. And we should marry, if, if those of you that are considering it, uh, or those of you that are, we should marry to give ourselves away. Did you hear me? So in other words, you don't, you don't get married just to make yourself complete. No, you get complete and you go into marriage with that complete, right? Otherwise, you're trying, it's, it, it, it's, it, you know, you're striving to get that person to make you something that you're not, right? That's not healthy. And I'd encourage you to understand that we should marry to give ourselves away, that we get our completeness from who? We, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, Right? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, right? I am complete in Christ, right? Vicki doesn't make me complete. We complete, we help to, to balance each other out and love each other and help each other and all that kind of stuff, but I'm complete in Christ, right? And she's complete in Christ. And when two, peop- two complete people come into a relationship, it's wonderful. And things can change and be awesome. So, I shared with you this before, and I'm going to ask for your help today. Um, I've identified, this has been, you know, years and years of research. I've identified the top five reasons that every marriage fails. And I'll give you the first one, and hopefully you can help me with number two through five. The first one is selfishness, if you're taking notes, okay? Selfishness. The second, the second top reason why every marriage fails, can you help me out, honey? Is what? Selfishness. Wow. You're so smart. All right. And John, can you tell me what the third one would be? All right. Excellent. Judah, what's the fourth? All right. Chuck, what's the fifth? Selfishness. There you have it. Top five reasons why every marriage fails is what? Let's all say it together real loud. Is what? Selfishness. Selfishness. Yeah. 
we have to learn in our relationships to kill our selfish nature. And we need to learn how to consider others better than ourselves. Did you know that's what the Bible teaches us, right? Now, you don't have to put yourself down to lift others up. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, you don't have to do that. But <laughs> you need to learn how to kill that selfish nature in yourself and to treat others better than yourself. And that includes your spouse. Did you know that? So make it your goal. Vicki and I have this little thing at home. Make it our goal to outserve one another. Make it your goal to outserve one another. Not to be served. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to do what? To serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, see? So I encourage you, husbands, make it your goal to outserve your wife. Just, you know, whatever. Dishwasher, you know, trash, making the bed, vacuuming. Uh, did you know that's sexy to a woman sometimes? <laughs> yeah. Make it your goal to serve one another. Do what, whatever. I, I mean, I'm just throwing some ideas out, but those are some of the things that, that I try my best to do because I know they, they weigh on Vicki, and there's a lot that she has going on. And so I try to do my best to take some of those things off her plate. And so make, we, we have this little game we play. We try to outserve one another. Rather than trying to fight for our rights, are you hearing me today? You know, and I did it last time. It's your turn and all that kind of stuff. Or I'll, you know, it's 50-50. You know, you do your part, I'll do mine. How many of you know that's a disaster waiting to happen? That whole ad attitude, that whole idea, that whole approach is a disaster waiting to happen. And so make it your goal to outserve one another. And let me make this statement. You will never have a great marriage if it's full of selfishness. Never. No matter how much you pray, no matter, you know, how much you know the Bible, no matter how many times people pray for you, you'll never experience a wonderful marriage if it's full of selfishness. Philippians gives us some encouragement to this whole principle called selfishness. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, check this out. Do nothing. Do nothing. What does that include? Everything. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, underline that word, in humility, circle that word, highlight that word, in humility, consider others better than yourself. So husbands, you need to see your wife as better than you. Wives, you need to see your husband as better than you. You may say, well, he doesn't act like it. <laughs> How many of you know sometimes you have to do things by faith? right? Based on the office. Did you hear me? Yep. See, wives, your husband stands in the office, a God-ordained office of a husband. Men, your wives stand in a God-ordained office called a wife. And out of respect for the office, even if they're not acting like they should, love them and respect them and care about them and don't be selfish serve that person, right? Because out of respect for the office, see, that's what I started to do back in the day when I had that aha moment. I started to love Vicki regardless of what she was doing. My approach was 50-50. I turned it to 
And I, I decided, you know, I'm going to love that woman like Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. I'm going to love her like Christ loved the church. I'm not going to love her like, like she, you know, deserves to be loved or she's acting. I'm going to love her like Christ loves the church. And I've made a decision to love her regardless of the way she acts. Regardless of what she does or doesn't do, I just flat love her. It's not conditional. It's not based on performance. It's a covenant relationship. It's based on commitment, not, not performance. And so this Philippians perspective, each of you should not look on, on your own interest, but also the interest of others. I look out for my wife. I try to figure out what she needs. And again, I'm not perfect, and I miss it often, but that's, that's what I try and endeavor to do is to, to find areas that she needs and try to fill that for her. See, selfish ambition is all about egocentric. It's all about me, me. It's all about me. No one has ever gone to the divorce court because too many of their needs were being met. Never. Your Honor, I can't take it anymore. My husband just loves me too much. You know, he he's constantly sacrificing for me, and you know, he's always always caring about me and trying to help me out and serving. I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> no, how many of you know that doesn't work that way? See, my job description with my wife is to do my best to meet her needs, right? to love her and care for her and honor her and cherish her and to model a selfless lifestyle. It's the character of Christ, and, and that's what we're striving for, and hopefully that's what you're striving for in your marriage. One of the marriage models that Vicki and I sort of adopted years ago was the 1 Corinthians 13 perspective, the the whole love is, love is, love is. And, and how many of you have read that before? Love, love is, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. It's not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never, what? Fails. Okay, so... Um, years ago, Vicki and I sort of, you know, we started to get into speaking the word, praying the word. I mean, even though that's a great form of prayer is pray the word. It's just pray what God says, right? Just pray it and believe it, regardless of your circumstances. Because sometimes we, we are so, you know, messed up by our circumstances and our condition. How many of you know your position is different than your condition? We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, right? And so I started to learn how to speak God's word by faith, believing what God said about me regardless of my circumstances, and as a result of that, my life started to follow my words, see? And the Bible tells us that all throughout Scripture, one of them is life and death is in the power of the tongue, see? And, and, and the, it talks about if whoever guards his mouth guards his life. Stuff like that, you know, the, the whole idea behind what we speak and what we share. And I would look at this, the context of this scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, and I would say, love me. 
<laughs> because I am not patient, and I'm not kind, right? And I started to look at my deficiencies. The Holy Spirit spoke into my life one time and said, why don't you just claim that verse as who you are and trust me in the midst of that, and I will change you. How many of you love being transformed by him? And so, so I started to replace the word love with me, right? Like I, and, th- and this, is, this is my prayer. I'm patient. This is my confession. I am kind. I, I do not envy. I don't boast. I'm not proud. I'm not rude. I'm not self-seeking. I don't, you know, I'm not easily angered. I keep no record of wrong. I don't delight in evil, but I rejoice in the truth. I'm always protective, always trusting, always hope, full of hope, always persevering. And as a result of that, the Lord working through me never fails, say. And I'm telling you what, it started to change me. I started to become more of those things. And I want to encourage you to take this serious, to, to begin to pray the end result into what you're trusting God for rather than being locked into what you see and what you feel like you cannot control. See, I, Vicki and I say I love you a lot because we we are trying to create a loving environment. And love, how many of you know love never fails? We'll say it probably between each other probably 20, 30 times a day. We are constantly saying, I love you, 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 I love you. We don't end a conversation on the phone or a text or, or, or in, in the morning or at night before we go to sleep. I love you, I love you. Why? Because we're trying to create a loving environment. And I challenge you and I all to do that even more. People need to hear you say that. Your wife, your spouse, your husband needs to hear you say, I love you. Don't be like the one guy who said, you know, you know, his wife said, why don't you tell me you love me more? He said, hey, I told you I love you when we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> don't, don't be like that person. But often, often we act like that. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, that that word, I love you, is so difficult to get out sometimes. When our, our, our family, our loved ones need to hear that a lot from us. Your spouse needs to hear you say, I love you. Your kids need to say, hear you say often, I love you. Your parents even need to hear you say, I love you. Your siblings need to hear you say, I love you. Your friends need to hear you say, I love you. It's it's okay for you to say, I love you to the people in your life. And here's the deal. God gave us ministries in our lives. We we all have a God-ordained ministry, and our first ministry is to our spouse. See, my first ministry is not to this church. My first ministry is to her. As my wife, right? And, and oftentimes the measure of our ministry is sacrifice. And sometimes I ask myself the question, how often have I sacrificed for my wife lately? How often have I done that? Because ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. All right, second, the second secret today for having a great marriage is make your spouse your BFF. Make your spouse your BFF. That simply means your best friend forever. See, Vicky and I are best friends. We, 
a lot of people couldn't do what we do. We, we live together. We sleep together. We work together. We are together constantly. And, and uh, I've had people ask me, how do you do it? How do you, how do, you do that? You know, I, I can't wait to go to work sometimes. It gives me some space, <laughs> you know. And how do you work together? And how do you, you know, live together? But we have developed a friendship. There is not a person on this planet I'd rather be with than her. And hopefully you can say that about your spouse, that there's not a person on this planet that you would rather be with than her or him. It's, uh, listen to the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16. It's a, it's a biblical perspective. It says, his voice and speech are exceedingly sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. The whole of him delights and is precious. This is my beloved, and this is my what? My best friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Check this out. In the depth of their intimacy, they refer to each other as best friends. Best friends. I just encourage you to read the Song of Solomon. I call it, I call it the SOS for marriage, right? It's, it's incredible. And in order to be best friends, here's what I found out, is you have got to spend time together. You've got to spend time if you're going to develop that friendship. Because friendship is based on knowing each other, Right? And uh, some of you say, well, do we need quality time or quantity time in order for it? Well, both, right? You need quality time, but you also need quantity time. You need time together, lots of time, in order to build a strong and a healthy and a vibrant and a flourishing and an intimate relationship. Don't give your spouse your leftovers. And so often we do this just because of life. Not necessarily a heart, but it's just life. Sometimes we, you know, we drag in late and we, we just don't have anything else to give. But I challenge you to, to look at your marriage differently and, and not, not to give your spouse your leftovers. I mean, just think about, you know, if I was to scrape our leftovers in a bucket, you know, for a couple of weeks and then give that to my spouse, my wife, that wouldn't say much, would it? <laughs> yeah, probably would, Right. It would, say, it would say that she's not worth much. But we do that in terms of our time, and because of that, we're not best friends. See, you need to be your, biggest, your spouse's biggest fan and your spouse's biggest admirer. If you're going to be best friends, they need to know that you're in their corner. And I know Vicky's in my corner. I know she, she is constantly saying, you can do it, Right? <laughs> you know, you can do it. You, 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 you got that, you know. You can, you can handle this. You're, you're all that in a bag of chips, right? She's always been my biggest fan and my biggest admirer. You know how it used to be before you got married. You just kind of, you just wanted to hang out. You just wanted to spend time. You just, you just wanted, you know, you just wanted more time together, you know. Then you get married and it's all of a sudden it's like, it's 10 o'clock, we got to go to bed, you know. You don't have time for each other. And I just encourage you to, to let God restore some of those things that maybe you did before you got married. Sort of last, lost track of time. Couldn't, couldn't stay away from each other. Wanted to be around each other. See, no matter how long you've been married, you still can keep it fresh and alive if you work at it. Right? 
I mean, Vicki and I have been together for over 45 years. We've been married for 43. And, and you know, we still can't, can't, you know, be apart much. We like to be together all the time. And I heard it said one time before, you know, just because there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there's not fire in the fireplace, right? <laughs> A little snow on the roof here, but we are in love with each other. And the other thing I'd say simply is this, if you're going to be best friends, make your, make your marriage fun. Amen? Yeah. Make your marriage fun. Learn to laugh a lot. Mark Gunger had the, the series called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. It's a great series. It just, just talks about the importance of laughter, the importance of fun. You know, not getting so serious that you get bogged down. You can't laugh a lot. Make it fun. Make it creative. Make up stuff. Do stuff. You know, Vicki and I, I have a, a, a holiday I created on my own. It's called the First Snow Day. First snow day of every year she gets flowers. It's, it's a, just a holiday I created. I just want to make it fun. I want to make it creative. I want to do something fun. So every, you know, every time we get an accumulating snow, I've even had people over the years, you know, 20 years later saying, you still getting her flowers on the first snow day? Yep. <laughs> it's coming, just so you know. <laughs> it may not be far, right? It may not be long before she gets those flowers. People are excited about that, right? Number three, number three, secret sauce. Third, third secret is start with the big rocks. Start with the big rocks. Keep your priorities straight. Did you hear me? Keep your priorities straight. Priority, what is a priority? It's your main concern. It's your main focus, if you will. It's it's. A working definition is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? That's priority. And this seems to be one of the most difficult areas of life is to keep your priorities straight. Oftentimes they get all mixed up. And we find ourselves doing things that really should be down the priority list and we find it at the top of the priority list. Often we tend to focus our energy on things that are not really that important and let the things that are important slip. You know, we start to focus on stuff that really doesn't matter in the overall scheme of life. It's been said that no one will ever wish they'd spent more time at the office or at work on their deathbed. No one. They always wish they'd have spent more time with their loved ones, their family. See, God, God in his creative genius set up a priority scale, and if each one of us will learn to maintain it, life can be great. Life can be good if we understand how that works. Years ago, I came across a story about a professor who stood before his philosophy class and had some items in front of him. When the class began, wordlessly, he picked up a very large empty mayonnaise jar and proceeded to fill it with golf balls. He asked his students after he filled it up with golf balls, is the jar full? And they agreed it was. The professor then picked up a box of pebbles and poured them into the jar. He shook the jar lightly. The pebbles rolled into the open areas between the golf balls, and then he asked, his students, again, if the jar was full, and they agreed it was. The professor then picked up a box of sand and poured it into the jar. 
Of course, the sand filled up everything else, and he asked his students once again, is the jar full? The professor then produced two cups of coffee from under the table, poured the entire contents into the jar, effectively filling the empty spaces between the sand. The students laughed. Now, said the professor, is the jar full? He said, I want you to recognize that this jar represents your life. The golf balls are the important things in your life. Your God, your family, your children, your health, your friends, your church, and your favorite passions. Things that if everything else was lost and only they remained, your life would still be full. The pebbles are the other things that matter, like your job, your house, and your car. The sand is everything else, the small stuff, recreation, hobbies, and entertainment. If you put the sand in the jar first, he continued, there would be no room for the pebbles or the golf balls. The same goes with life. If you spend all of your time and energy on the small stuff, you will never have room enough for the things that are important to you. Pay attention to the things that are critical to your happiness. Play with your children. Take your spouse out for dinner. Stay in love with your spouse. Be faithful at your church. Serve people in your life. Enjoy your friendship. And that was the end of the story. Listen, folks, always remember that order determines priority. Order determines priority. If everything, you know, that you do, you know, for your spouse always ends up at the end and with very little time or energy left over, that says something. Order determines priority. Let me give you God's priority system as found in Scripture. I won't take time to share every verse with you, but here's a great one to start with. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the top five priorities as found in Scripture. First, our relationship with God. Number one priority as found in Scripture, our relationship with our God. Second, our relationship with our spouse. Third, our relationship with our children. Fourth, our relationship with our church. And fifth, our relationship with our jobs. So it's our God, our spouse, our children, our church, and our jobs. And some, some have a tendency to invert this priority scale. Oftentimes, job is number one. <laughs> yeah, job. Or sometimes it's children are number one, right? Sometimes it's our spouse is number one. That, that, God never intended that, right? God is number one, our spouse is number two, see? Always remember that, that that's God's priority system. And if we keep our priorities straight and in the proper order, we keep the main thing the main thing, life can be great. Life can be good. Learn to keep your priorities straight. So finally, as the worship team comes, finally, think about this. What, what would our life and our marriages and our families look like? if we included God as the center of our marriage, if we honored and respected one another, 
if we learn to properly communicate in life-giving ways to each other, we, if we learn how to develop good listening skills, if we learn how to praise the positive aspects of our spouse, if we, if we learn how to nourish our love through touch and put the needs of our spouse above our own, what, what would life look like if we became best friends with our spouse and we kept our priorities in order? I think we'd have a higher level of joy and satisfaction, and we would make a greater impact on the world that God has placed us in. Let's stand to our feet. In just a few minutes, after the benediction, the pastoral team will be on both sides of the auditorium for prayer if you have needs. They'd love to pray with you. Right now, I I just want to challenge each and every one of us to do that, that little experiment of looking in the mirror and asking ourselves the question, is there areas of my life and my relationships that need adjustment? Is there something perhaps out of order? Is there something that needs to change and Is there something that needs God's breath? Can we just shut our eyes for a moment and and just examine your heart? If, If you'd say yes, would you pray for me? I'd love to do that. Just slip up your hand all over. God bless you. Thank you so much for your honesty. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know what? This whole Jesus thing is fairly new to me, and I'm not surrendered completely to him. And, And before we leave today, I'd just like to pray and make Jesus the Lord of my life. Be 100% committed and surrendered to him. If that's you today and you'd say, would you pray for me? Please slip up your hand. I won't embarrass you. I just simply want to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for each person that you brought here today on purpose. Nobody is here by accident. Holy Spirit, you've been speaking to people throughout our time. God, you give me words to say, but Holy Spirit, you write on the heart of your people. So God, I'm asking you to do a work in each one of our lives today. Pray, Father, that you would visit each one in a powerful and a special way. And that transformation will begin and occur in each of our lives. God, we don't want to be the same as we are today for the rest of our lives. We want change. We invite you to come and mess with us. God, help us to quit blaming other people for our stuff, our issues. Help us not to do that. God, help us to allow you to show us the way to search our hearts and to lead us in the way of everlasting. I pray for my brother and sister today. I pray that you would do a work, that you would give them a goal and a vision for their marriage or their relationships or something that's special or important to them. 
They wouldn't settle for mediocrity or complacency. They would strive to experience all that you have. So Holy Spirit, come now. Breathe the breath, the life-giving breath on our lives as we worship you in Jesus' name.